What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, today we've got another episode of The Pros Gear, where we talk to some industry professionals to learn more about their own personal gear preferences. And today it is Hadley Hammer's turn. Hadley and I recorded this conversation on November 24th, and in this conversation, we talk a bit about her own background in skiing and when she got started, and then we do our thing and get her take on all of this different ski equipment. But before we get into all the gear stuff, we had to have it out about the Queen's Gambit, and you'll hear why we needed to do that once we get going here. So today, Hadley Hammer, as always, saying some really smart and insightful things, and I think you all are going to enjoy this conversation. And the other thing you're going to hear me say in this conversation, again, we recorded it on November 24th, so I had this talk with Hadley and then went skiing for the first time this season and have been going pretty much every day since. And it has been amazing to be back riding chairlifts and carving up groomers. And we've already been working through a number of skis and ski boots. And you guys are about to see an avalanche of flash reviews and first looks on Blister. And it has just been so good to be getting back on chairlifts and carving up some turns, remembering how to ski like one does at the start of every ski season. And if you would like to come do some skiing with us at any point this season or for our upcoming Blister Summit, which is in February, well, we do have this guide getting here, Gunnison and Crested Butte, and there is a ton of really useful information in there. It's got all of the up-to-date flight information into the Gunnison Airport, so there is a plethora of useful stuff in there. Check that out, and you can also check out our link in the show notes of this episode for registration for the Blister Summit. Lots of good information about that on our website, too. And I'm looking forward to making more announcements about the summit and some things that we're working on for the summit. So as always, stay tuned to Gear 30 for that. And with that, let's fight about the Queen's Gambit now with Hadley Hammer. Here we go. Well, Hadley, how are you today and where are you today? I'm really great today and I'm in Innsbruck, Austria. All right. Chilling in Innsbruck on lockdown. Chilling. We are on our fourth countrywide lockdown. But tell the folks what isn't lockdown. The only thing that's not lockdown besides grocery store, it's the essentials. Grocery store, post office, bank, and glacier ski resorts. <laughs> I mean... I- it makes no logical sense, but I will take advantage of the illogic. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I was going a different way with that. I thought it was like, well, we have the essentials covered. So I was going to kind of give props. I mean, if we got to go into lockdown, at least keep the ski areas open. I frankly don't care about the banks, but like ski areas and grocery stores, I'd be all right. Yeah, it's the important things. All right. It's time, Hadley. We're opening with a fight. Uh, (laughs) This is how this is going down. Let me see. We were exchanging some messages on the 1st of November. And it started out great. Uh, It was really nice. You had heard uh, a conversation that Cody Townsend and I were having about a great piece that you had recently written. And you were saying like, thanks for that. And I was saying like, well, thanks for writing such a great piece. And then there was this. (laughs) And I quote, I do have to question your love of the Queen's Gambit. I replied, What? You're out on the Queen's Gambit? We might need to do a podcast episode where you and I fight about this for about an hour. And you wrote, deal, I'm not much of a fighter, but I'll try my best. Here we are. It is time. (laughs) What the hell? Well, I have two, maybe three beefs with it. One, I feel like Netflix does this thing and I've actually read about it, but I could not give you the 
proper reference of where I read this, where they've now made this genre of TV that's like the equivalent of background noise. And they make the episodes like a series of 10 or 12 where nothing really happens, but it's enough to like kind of keep you engaged. Oh my God. And then they'll leave with like a cliffhanger at the end of the episode. And so it's this kind of TV that you can like cook and like do other stuff while watching. And it just becomes background noise. So my beef number one, it wastes my time. Oh my God. This <laughs> is going to be the two. shortest Gear 30 episode <laughs> ever. My beef number two, and this is going to once again make me like not that cool in the ski industry, but I just have a hard time with like, why couldn't she have been like a badass, intelligent chess player that didn't have like a massive drug and alcohol problem? Like, why can't we like have the people that succeed and win be like good, healthy, rational humans? I'm not against partying, like go ahead. I do every once in a while, but like she was a train wreck at periods of time. And I don't like that people that succeed always have to be train wrecks. I forget what my third. Good. Oh, I, I don't even want to hear it. Oh my god! <laughs> I knew I didn't want to hear it. Okay, I'm sorry. Hadley, Hadley. <laughs> oh, this is the most depressed I've ever been. Like on any of our podcast episodes. No. Okay. First of all, background noise. Hadley, of all the people out there, you're known as like being an right avid reader, avid writer. If anybody was going to appreciate the dialogue and the attention to detail and in the interior lives that we're being able to sort of see and be communicated and incredibly nuanced interactions among characters, you would be among the top of my list of people in our little outdoor world who I think would appreciate this. What is happening? Well, I'm going to lose this argument by admitting this fact okay i have terrible taste in visual entertainment (laughs) if this was a book i probably would have loved it but i don't know what it is but i don't like watching things that bring like any sort of bad feelings to me like rom-coms love them got it all the pitch perfect series my favorite my dad and i have watched all of them multiple times together crying both of us over an acapella movie which yeah i don't have high standards i have really low standards for visual entertainment and so a this will be while i've probably lost the argument (laughs) but it's my excuse okay (laughs) i feel like it just agitated me too much (laughs) or bored me i don't know well okay First of all, I thank you so much. You came out hot right out of the gate with your arguments. <laughs> and then you just like laid down with, I have terrible taste in, <laughs> in visual arts. So yeah. I feel like I'm, I, you know, I'm on, I'm in pretty good standing in this fight yeah. so far. Or just confused. <laughs> so first of all, this is a novel, William Tevis. I know. And it's, but it doesn't even follow the novel, right? Uh, it does. Yeah, I mean, you know, if we accept that TV shows are normally, you know, adaptations, adaptations, emphasize, underscore. And so what I would say is, I mean, this is kind of Tevis's move. First of all, I think he's a fantastic author. But to your point about, like, why can't we have, like, sort of fully functional people, like, seeing them in their stories? Like, I get that, but I mean, this is the character, Right. She had a pretty rough upbringing. And furthermore, it's not like she was this had this, you know, really nice, comfortable upbringing and then just chose to make really stupid life decisions like this. This girl had it rough. Right. So a little compassion. No, Hadley. (laughs) Okay, I will read. How about this? Yeah. How about I read the book? Okay. And then we talk again. Okay. Fair. Now, (laughs) the only thing I'll give you, and I used to really come after people on this point, and I think I'm softening on this, because frankly, my mom, shout out to my mom, she maybe rolls (laughs) a little bit like you, where she's like, I'm not that into watching like tough, difficult films, or it's actually more films than novels, because she'll the, the novels or memoirs she'll read often do involve a lot of struggling and overcoming. 
Oh, yeah. Say, I'll read like the most messed up book. So what I don't understand. So I used to come at her and other people like you can't judge art on like, well, it's kind of sad. So I, it's bad. I'm like, that's not how art works. But I'm trying to soften a bit that like we all come to art for different reasons. G- give me your thoughts on this. I mean, that's fair. I the problem is and for people that know me really well and have had to like where I've watched something scary with them. Mm-hmm. When I watch it, it stays with me forever. And I like can't get the visuals out of my head. And I like fall asleep and wake up with like the person dying or the murder or the overdose. But when I read it, it doesn't stay with me. And so maybe it's not a bad show. It's just not for me. Yeah. I like, did you watch Ted Lasso? Ted Lasso is my jam. I love Ted Lasso. That's I kind of like watching things that make me feel really happy and reading things that are like a little bit more depressive or intense. Gotcha. Okay. Some of us, Hadley, are so evolved, we can roll <laughs> both ways, right? Yeah, so not me. my two favorite shows, really, of the past, whatever, year and a half or so, Ted Lasso and The Queen's Gambit. Boom. Okay. Maybe we'll come to better terms if I like the book and we both like Ted Lasso. And then we could still be then friends. Then we'll be friends. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I like this. And it might actually work out if, given what you've said, you're like, I don't want to watch the kind of tough upbringing, but Tevis is a remarkable writer. So if you disagree with that, you can come back (laughs) on and we can have another fight about how you're like, Tevis is totally overrated. (laughs) Okay. Okay. A second thing we needed to talk about. (laughs) We were talking about, well, after I said you were going to come on and we were going to fight about the Queen's Gambit, I was like, let's also do, you know, kind of this pros gear conversation that we've this series we've been rolling out here you were like yep i'm game let's do it here's the part that when you sent me this message i had a really interesting response you told me that you basically binged listen to every single a very deep dive on ski boots podcast episode that i did with matt manzer (laughs) and my initial reaction was like It felt like somebody had written me and just said, I just chain smoked an entire carton of cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I don't know that that could be healthy to like binge that entire series. And then I thought, well, I don't know. I don't want to compare us to like chain smoking a carton of cigarettes. Maybe it's like (laughs) eating the entire bottle of vitamin C, right? Like it's something that could, could be good for you, but it's probably still a bad idea. So I'm very curious. What the hell was that experience like? <laughs> it was great. I really miss being in a university setting mm. because I miss the opportunity to learn a bunch about something that I don't know. And so I feel like I do this to myself when there's a topic that I don't understand. I like I just put myself on a little university course and maybe it's the really intensive one where you know they offer education in the shorter time periods, but it's like full gas. And so I just did this. I have so many questions about boots. And so I was like, I'm just gonna, here's <laughs> down the rabbit why not? And how could I once I learned a little bit, my, my questions weren't fully answered. So I just listened to all of them. <laughs> I'm just curious. I mean, did you have any like, any specific takeaways from I just I mean, we're proud of the series. We really like it. (laughs) But to have like slammed them all in a very short period of time, I I just was, I don't know. Do you feel like we did a good job in terms of an overview? Or you like, you guys went super deep on this, but didn't talk at all about some other topic. What were some, any of your kind of bingy takeaways? Um, I have a lot and it was really helpful for me because I think we'll discuss this. I'm still looking for the ideal ski boot. Yeah. And I want to be able to come to these boot companies, not only with the request, but reasons behind the request and the request being specific. And so it was awesome to listen to the different plastics. It was really interesting for me because I'm coming off of ACL surgery and my ankle flexion has been really distorted from the surgery. And 
even just listening to the forward lean and that your forward lean actually can't be more than what your ankle flexion was. Cause I was having an issue when I have just been back on snow, like for five days or five or six ski days, my heels been lifting only in the boot from the leg that had surgery. And I couldn't figure it out the first few days. And then I was like, Oh, I listened to your podcast. And I was like, this is because I don't have my full range of flexion in my ankle right now. And so I'm sure this is why. And if I just adjust the forward lean on my boot, then maybe this will be better. Hmm. So it was like tons of little nuggets oh, that cool. I learned, which was cool. And I, I, we spoke a little about this earlier. I don't have that gear brain naturally. When I speak to my little brother about skis, he can tell exactly what needs to be changed. It's incredible listening to him. And when I do... Line is so awesome because we built out a bigger Pandora. I guess that was three winters ago or four that we started working on it. I could never give the right specifics of what I wanted changed. Even if I knew like I want this feeling changed, I couldn't say in the way that other people can. And so I find your podcast really helpful because it gave me the technical language I needed for boots. So if you can do it with skis too, that would be great. Well, I think we've got a couple, I don't know, 160 <laughs> other episodes of Gear 30. Yeah, uh, please, in there. please don't binge them though. I just, I feel like I can't vouch for your safety. That 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 would have, I don't know, your brain would, I, I can't. But it's only 50% of your voice. So there's actually quite a bit of variety when I'm listening to a bunch of them. Okay. Yeah, that was, I told you that was kind of my concern. I was like, no one should have to be subjected to my voice for that but uh, you're right. It's only half the time. So you're the professor. That's how I was thinking of you. Oh. Well, so. this also gets back to how I can't believe your take on the Queen's Gambit. But I, I <laughs> we just we like around here curious people, and we like doing deep dives on all kinds of things. And so, yeah, this is one of the, despite your terrible take on the Queen's Gambit, <laughs> we kind of like folks like you who are like, sweet, let's go, like, let's go down the rabbit hole. And, and it's really cool. And it's cool to hear you say, this is something we've said for years, that just because you're an amazing skier or mountain biker, I think sometimes people still make this false assumption that like, oh, you're a sick skier, you must automatically, you know, know how to articulate exactly what you're feeling with a given piece of equipment. And I keep saying, and I've been saying this for over a decade, there isn't a correlation. And so to have a six gear be like, yeah, I, it doesn't quite work that way, but maybe you and I both believe there is an ability to learn how to better articulate some of the stuff. That's certainly what I believe. Yeah, absolutely. On that note, we're done with our fights. We're done. <laughs> we're done <laughs> hearing uh, about what it was like to to binge listen to a very deep dive on ski boots. I think it's time to talk about some of your own gear preferences, and I'm I'm Great. I'm excited to hear this. First question we're going to open with: What gear would you say you are the pickiest about? I'm the most picky about my boots, which is unfortunate. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> say more. I. Well, I have a size 21 for a ski boot, which already puts me at a bit of a challenge. But in the eight to 10 years that I've been skiing professionally, I haven't had a single season where my feet aren't either in pain or the performance of my skiing isn't somewhat adjusted from the boots that I'm in, which is wildly frustrating, (laughs) if you can imagine. Yeah. And I was actually looking the other day, I think touring specifically, I very much agree with McKenna and what she said in her podcast, which everyone should listen to. I listened to it during my binge. (laughs) Uh, For Alpine boots, there are options if you have a size 21, 22, 23, especially because you can dip into the race boot genre. And for a long time, I was in the Lang 120 junior boot, and it was a boot that they had just continued for a while but luckily those guys kept some and would just send me a pair every once in a while which was awesome but when it comes to touring boots the quick research that I did I did like 40 minutes of digging around there's 89 options if you have a size like 25 or 26 
foot and you want a 120 or 130 flex, 89 89. different options. Hmm. And I'm sure that number isn't even perfect, but that was like the basic from all the top brands. And if you're a girl with a size 22, it's listed that there's six options, but I disagree with some of them. For instance, like the Dina Fit boot and the Zero G. My roommates before, when I was back in Jackson, they both have a size seven street shoe and they were wearing the 22. And I have a size five, five and a half, six street shoe. And so there's no way it's like a pure 22 if their sizes are like too, too bigger than me. Mm-hmm. So I think it's even less. I bet there's like really two options. And they're going to come in at more of a 120 flex, at least from what I've dug around. Mm-hmm. And if we are going to your actual size, a true 21, we went from 89 to maybe, what, three or four if you're in a 22? And are we at zero if you're in a 21? The No, we're at one. The Del Bello Lupo comes in a 21.5, and it's a true truly small boot i think the what's see this is when i get to ask you questions the length the like sole length is like a 262 or something like this where i think the sole length at least for the dina fit boot was a 265 so it's actually an interesting development recently that manufacturers especially when it comes to touring boots have been creating boots with a shorter sort of wheelbase as it were but keeping the usable length of so if we think about toe you know the actual length of the boot when it comes to like how long is this for my toes so we can go with a sort of longer boot but with a shorter kind of chassis if you will that makes sense yeah but bottom line not, not a lot of options not a lot of <laughs> options and um yeah and i mean <clears throat> i do know you know Matt Manzer has said and likes to keep pointing out for understandable reasons. He's like, we are offering the Atomic Hawks Ultra XTD in a true 22. I don't know about that 21, Matt. More work to do, Matt. (laughs) And I mean, you also heard Matt talk about like how expensive it is, right? To make other molds. So there is a, a realization or there is a factor there, an economic factor, but... Okay, but this is my rebuttal to that because that was always the argument that was given. I think we can agree at this point in time, especially during the past two years, but I think historically you've seen many movements come up where we're talking about the outdoor spaces and diversifying the outdoor spaces for everybody. And my beef is that can't just be a marketing campaign. Because if you're saying everyone's welcome here, let's talk gear specifically. If you don't make gear for a variety of people, then that marketing campaign, which you've probably spent millions of dollars on, doesn't matter. For women specifically, if you look historically at a lot of different women's movements, but particularly in the States, there is a big change at one point for women. And I read a paper that spoke that It wasn't about women's marches and it wasn't necessarily about legislation, but one of the biggest triggers to allowing women out of the house was the invention of a laundry machine because yeah, you still have this, this social burden that we're supposed to be at home doing laundry, but if that laundry can be put in and you can leave and you're not doing it all day (laughs) in a river or in a sink, you've given that female that time. And so maybe this is a stretch, but when I think about women skiing, if you give us the gear, then that will be how we can become better because we have the tools. I mean, it's really hard to ski. Have you ever gone and skied in boots that are two sizes too big? Hell no, Hadley. Hell no, Hadley, (laughs) because that would be terrifying and insane. Exactly. And then think of all the women that mm-hmm. are out there skiing in gear that is inappropriate. And so my ask is if we are truly standing behind these ideas of the outdoors are for everyone and we want more people to ski, yes, it's going to cost your company more, but 
figured out, <laughs> I guess. You know, I went to school for hospitality and we always talked about the menu and how when you create a menu, you sort of divide it into those four quadrants and you have the cash cow, like the wiener schnitzel that mm-hmm. you can make a ton of, money, ton of money off of. It doesn't cost you much. You don't have to charge too much for it. Then you have something like the filet where, yeah, the filet costs you a ton. And even if you mark it up, you still will kind of lose money on it, but you have to have it on the menu because that's what sets like the tone of your restaurant. And so for boot companies, I'm saying set the tone if you want diversity and if you want the outdoors to be for everyone, create gear for everyone. I do also have an understanding that it's not just the boot companies. In conversations I've had, they were like, look, we'll make this boot, but then the sales reps don't buy it mm-hmm. because there's a risk there for them. They don't know how many to set, how many to put in shops, but you can have access to my DMS. They are full of girls asking me the exact same thing. And I know like Michelle Parker has the same problem. Like there's everyone from pros to beginners. that can't find a boot. Yeah. So that's sorry. That was my rant. No, don't, don't apologize for that. That was very well said. It was interesting. You and I were talking a few weeks ago and you just made a really interesting point where you're like, hey, think about particularly as a pro skier where the job is to be skiing some pretty gnarly lines. Now go do that in a boot that's two or three sizes too big. It's dangerous. I w- Two, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> And so three, talk about like an unfair advantage. And one of the things you were kind of saying, I hope it's okay for me repeating it here, but you were like, gear is getting better in so many ways. Women are just coming up and the athleticism and the rest that we're seeing is incredible. But everybody who knows anything about skiing knows that, again, we always talk about it. it starts with the ski boot. So a hell of a disadvantage. We're putting many professional athletes in a situation where cool go ski that gnarly thing while you're swimming in a boot (laughs) i mean yeah and it's not just professional athletes like right anybody even anybody that has a small foot and is trying to progress or just trying to have a nice day too like my feet i can't I feel bad for how much pain I put them in because when the boot doesn't work, because obviously there's so many, you know, in those 89 options you have as a guy, you can find that boot that has the right width. And when I was listening to your conversations about boots, like there's boots for you that don't work, but you have 88 other options to go to. And where if a boot doesn't work for me, and causes like that actual pain that shoots up your entire leg into your hip. Like there's so many sensors and nerves in the bottom of your foot. And if I don't, ha- if this one boot doesn't work, that c- the one boot that's made in my one size, yeah. then it's really, yeah, unfortunate. And I feel like I try to be really careful when I bring in like the women's conversation, but I feel like this is a time where it actually is applicable. Like we need gear that's made for us. (laughs) Well, here's just another opportunity, I guess, to, in this conversation, underscore to gear manufacturers out there. I I think what you've said is incredibly well said. Hopefully we can just continue to light a fire, whether it's apparel manufacturers where, because there's another end of the spectrum, right? There's the other end of the spectrum where it's like, can we make some pieces bigger? Mm -hmm. And then on this, you're addressing well the like can we make some things smaller and and you know i'd like to believe that there are conscientious people designers in these spaces people in dealing with the economics of this who would love to see this get done and i think if we keep having people like you to make a really articulate case and underscoring the importance of this i'd like our chances of seeing some change you know along these lines so I don't know. I think the change is is coming. I can feel it. Hmm. The conversations feel much more productive these days with hmm. boot companies. And I really do think a lot of it is just everyone in that chain of distribution needs to get on board. Too. Yeah, that's right. Everybody in the chain of distribution. That's right. 
It's not, we're not trying to single out like one little element here. It's going to take everybody getting in line. And and again, you articulated that really well. So thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, we're going to talk about skis, but to try to make this conversation as helpful as we can, you've already said your street shoe size, you tend to, it's like a five, five or six. And that translates to kind of a 21 slash 21, five ski boot. Yep. Tell us your height and weight to give people a sense before we start talking lengths? Sure. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm five, two and a half. I say five, three and my whole family laughs. So let's go with probably five, five two. two and a half. It's good. I'm yeah. glad you're sneaking in that half, <laughs> half an inch there. Okay. So five, two and a half. Somewhere between 115 to 120 pounds, depending on the season okay. or like what part of the season I'm in. Okay. And I think that's going to be relevant because when we do start talking about lengths of skis, it's people are like, who are we talking to here? You know, are you, are you five foot nine, five foot nine with a tiny little foot? Yeah. (laughs) I kind of want to start with inbound skis and we'll, we'll then talk about backcountry skis in a sec. But when it comes to inbound skis, first of all, what kind of length range do you generally find yourself using? Um, I think in general across the board, I'll go anywhere from like a 172 to a 183 max. But I, if I'm going above 179, it's really for specific like big open terrain. Okay. And I think like the 179 is kind of my sweet spot. Okay. I'm increasingly doing a thing where the narrower the ski, I'm tending to skew shorter. And the wider the ski, I'm tending to go a bit longer on it. I'm curious if you think about length that same way or do you, you're like, no, I've never thought about it that way. It's, it's just a bit more like what's the particular ski given that ski. I, do I want to go a bit shorter or a bit longer on this? I think, I don't think I've premeditated it in the way that you have, but I think it's come out in the same way because the 110 Pandora comes in a 178 and that's sort of my go-to ski for bigger things. And when I'm going faster, when I jump off bigger things where the 104, for instance, is a 172. And so it is shorter. And I used to not ski that short of a ski before I would like never dip below 176, but I've come to really like it. I actually, I am a pretty small person all around and I actually don't need that big of a ski, it turns out. And (laughs) the Pandora is built in a way that it's stable. And so even if I'm going mock Schnell on a 172, I feel great still. Hmm. So just curious to hear your own personal experience with this. Why were you on longer skis? Was it like, well, the cool kids ski longer stuff or- Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like such a trend for women to ski on these longer skis because that's how you could say like, I'm good enough to do this and I'm badass enough, but it's definitely not necessary. And I actually know some guys and I admit it's not even a gender thing. I know some professional males that also started sizing down and realize like, oh, for especially for resort skiing where the terrain is varied and you're going from like big radius to small radius turns quite often. They're like, oh, this is actually way nicer. Yep. So yeah. yeah, I feel like there needs to be in general. Let me say again, for me personally, I feel like I've started to ski a ski that's more appropriate for the terrain and snow instead of always just going with like a bigger ski all the time. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably better for my skiing and for my knees. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> I actually filmed a bunch on with TGR. And I can't remember the reason why I only had access to these. I think it was early season and I just had access to a 98 underfoot ski. And we, I filmed a whole POW segment. And a, you actually just sink quite a bit deeper. <laughs> it was kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I should do here, should have already done, let's give people a sense of your own background with skiing. Um, just to, again, provide some more context as we're sitting here talking about boots and ski lengths and the like. Yeah. I'm a bit of a late bloomer, I would say. Uh, I grew up in Jackson and definitely grew up skiing with my family, but I focused on figure skating as a child. 
I did a little Nordic ski racing in high school. Um, so I only did two years of ski racing. I must have been like 10 and 11 or 12 and 13, something like this. And then did one year with the free ride team that was brand new, like Park and Pipe in Jackson. It was their first time the ski club had that group when I was a freshman in high school. But then I went to school back east, not the best skiing, decided to focus on school and climbing and ski just a little bit and got my sommelier license and was really thinking that my life was going to be a a corporate life. I worked in Washington, D.C. after college. And when I came back to Jackson after that job in D.C. is when I started, my younger brother was on the U.S. ski team, best skier hands down I've ever seen in my entire life. And he politely told me that I'd gotten a little soft and heavy in my city life and uh, that I should join the gym that he was training at. And that started me at Mountain Athlete. And that's where like Griffin Post and Crystal Wright and Jess McMillan were all training for the Free Ride World Tour. And they were like, oh, you should try doing one of these comps. And I was like, okay. I mean, socially, that just sounded like a fun thing to do when I lived in Jackson. And there's, I think one of the parts about the Free Ride World Tour that's so underrated is the barrier to entry is actually quite low. Like you just needed a fast internet connection and you could sign up for a free ride comp. And so I did, and I did really poorly. And maybe just like I binged your, I don't mind being a beginner and I love learning. And that was what hooked me on skiing was I sucked. I really sucked. I like backseat sliding all my turns. And for me, it was really cool because then I just dove in and tried my hardest to learn as much as I could about skiing. I would follow people at Jackson Hole, like just ski behind them and try to pick up their technique. And this was when I was 25. And so, yeah, I came into the sport admittedly with like the background of my parents and my family skiing, but not much technical training. And then when I was 25, like took lessons from anyone that would give them to me or that I would pay for (laughs) Um, but I would say I'm, I don't have that like deep, solid race background, but I have the goal of that perfect turn (laughs) every time I go out skiing. I love that. By the way, so you said that was when you were 25, but help us, what year are we talking there where you're following skiers around at Jackson? And when did you sign up for the, your first comp? When I was 25. Okay. So, So, and I'm 35 now, 10 years ago. Minus 10. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what year is I'm it? no I'm no math genius, but I'm thinking that's 2011. That's great. And by the way, again, shout out to like throwing ego aside and just being curious as hell. I, I'm I'm not sure that's the secret to happiness or living a great life, but it's got to be up there. I think curiosity is the secret to happiness, mm. and I also think it's the secret to longevity. Oh, that I completely agree with you. (laughs) In the mountains, particularly, but just in general. You're so great, except for your terrible take on the Queen's (laughs) Gambit. It's just, it's really something. (laughs) Okay, so we now have a better sense of your own background. Let's maybe kind of bring this back to the gear stuff. And I guess I'll segue into maybe what you're most interested in when it comes to backcountry skis. Feel free to talk a little bit about this relationship to like skiing inbounds and when you really started moving or getting more and more interested in the backcountry game and then say some things about gear, I guess. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I've never done this before. Sorry. I'm I'm working (laughs) on my questions. (laughs) Um, It was, this is a bit of a story, but it's interesting. I've been working with someone that deals with like your nervous system and your the neurology behind injuries. And so we've been doing a lot of things, testing my eyes, my hearing. And at one point he said to me, like, do you like large crowds? And I was like, nope. He's like, do you like loud noises? Not really. It's like, do you like to only be alone in the woods? And I was like, oh yeah, hmm. definitely. And he's like, I can tell just by your bo- how the way your body reacts when we take away some of those sensory inputs that you seem like very calm when things are calm <laughs> or just more like when things are quiet and there's not a lot of visual. And so 
for, I think it was only natural that eventually my career would take this shift away from competing into these more like solo, not necessarily solo, but small group, remote ski touring expedition, backcountry skiing, because that's my happy place. Like I really light up when the environment around me is really calm. And it was cool to see that that's actually like a physical property that I have based on who knows where those like things come into your history. But I found that really interesting. I was like, wow, this guy doesn't know me very well, but Hmm. by studying my body and my reaction to noise and light, he's like nailed me. (laughs) Um, When it comes to skis, there, I think because my background doesn't have this super technical race foundation, as much as I want my turns to be perfect and my goal is always to like have a carve in there and I work on it so much, like every time I ski, I do drills. I think I also accepted the fact that sometimes I'll need to slide my turn or sometimes things won't be perfect. And so for me, that's the Pandora has been the perfect ski. And of course, like I'm sponsored by line. I should say that, but there's a reason why I worked with that brand and I've had other offers and I, I kind of shoot myself in the foot in our negotiations. Cause I'm just like, I love these skis so much and I don't want to ski on anything else. And so like, they know they have me there. Um, <laughs> yeah, not good for negotiations, but great for skiing because I think the Pandora is so evenly built and balance ski that you can do both those things. You can really carve it, but also you can release the tail and like slash it. It's super poppy. It kind of allows you to ski however you want to ski where there's other skis. When we were building the Pandora 110, I got to do my first like big ski test where like we're skiing a bunch of different skis all day as in the Pandora, but also all the equivalents. And it was cool to ski so many different kinds of skis but I always came back to liking the Pandora because even though say like one of them turned so beautifully like when you carved it it gave you a lot if you weren't right on it it would also like you were going for the ride (laughs) where I feel like my the best way for me to describe what it's like to ski on the Pandora whether it's the 104 or the 110 is that I get to ski the ski and I think that's makes for a really fun experience because you never feel like you're yeah being taken control of (laughs) to push you on that would you say that you feel like the same degree of i kind of can do what i want on these skis or do you feel like that's more if if we're talking in nuances here is that more true of the 104 more true of the 110 or are you kind of like it feels kind of the same to me that particular element of both skis let me do kind of exactly what i want to do it's more true on the 104 huh and because the 110 is a little the 104 is built around the same properties of the sick day where the 110 has a little bit of the vision lines vision put in there and so I find the sick day just to be this like universally fun ski. I've also never had fun is the word that anyone I've ever tell told to buy the Pandora, the sick day. That's the thing that they say. I don't even provoke them. Maybe at this point they know, but everyone's reaction is like, I just had a really fun day. And I think that comes from how the ski is so balanced and there's nothing extreme it's not overly rockered. It's not anything. It's just a balanced, well-made ski. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, we have kind of gushed about the Sick Day 104. <laughs> and the funny thing for me is on paper, that ski is way too light for what I like <laughs> inbounds. It just doesn't tick. Like that's not a ski that I would obviously like gravitate toward. And again, people can read our reviews of the Sick Day 104, and it's like our reviewers who would seemingly, like that's more obviously in their wheelhouse, they love it. Those of us who sometimes prefer a bit more of a heavier, more directional ski, we love it. So yeah, that for years has just kind of been like, somebody nailed it, you know, somebody nailed it there with that ski, so... Um, it kind of, it, it, it resonates like our experience resonates with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's also perfect because 
I think for people that are looking for that one quiver ski, I put the cast system on the 104 Hmm. and I can bring it inbounds. And because like you said, that ski is so light, I tour with it Mm -hmm. and it's sort of my, it can do all, (laughs) which is perfect. Does that kind of answer the next question? Are you spending most of your time, most days out on a Pandora 104 with a cast binding setup? I would say I 50-50 split between the 104 and the 110 and mostly with the cast. If I'm going on something really long, I'll do the marker albinist uh-huh. binding. But I noticed my I ski different in a touring binding, obviously. And I know don't, it's don't say obviously. Obvi- wait, wait, don't yeah, say obviously because we still obvious. we still <laughs> yeah. fight. We still fight on blister trying to like when I, I'm sorry, I, but, but God, people are like, what are you talking about? These bindings are identical. And we're like, no, they are not. No. So I'm very grateful to have you say this. And I don't want you to add obviously <laughs> because yeah. you don't see the emails I get. So yeah. please keep please keep I enlightening. Take out the obvious. Like for me, I always thought it was like, oh, how could it be that big of a difference? But again, it's a huge difference. I ski way differently. And for a while, I was like, well, I want to get better at skiing in a touring setup because I have these long missions I'll go on. And my little brother was like, actually, I think you should spend way more time in your alpine setup because if you're always trying to get better at skiing, you'll get better in an alpine setup. And so that's what I do now. And that's why I think I really love the cast system too because I'd rather just lug i mean my boots i'm touring <laughs> still and have in the past toured in a race boot which has like no walk mode really stiff no like it's horrible so a little bit of a heavy binding i'm like whatever it's <laughs> just add it to the list yeah and and again saving weight can be a wonderful thing and can make sense for all kinds of skiing applications and missions and the rest we acknowledge this. This is a fact. But what is also a fact is there are compromises in terms of performance and in terms of feel when we're going to a really light touring binding to a much heavier AT binding. I want to say this is also a fact. These two things can be true. And sometimes on the interwebs, <laughs> people, <laughs> yeah, it's just a constant, constant sort of ongoing line we have to. Uh, put out there at least for certain individuals yeah you're gonna make a prettier carving turn on an alpine binding that's just it (laughs) and it took me a while to figure that out and then i went back to skiing more alpine binding days Hmm. and i've made way more more progress that's hadley hammer's take (laughs) ladies and gentlemen send all the angry emails to her um <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you about mount points. Now you've said you're kind of on your we're all on our journey figuring this stuff out and what <laughs> we're like let's be honest. But I'm curious how sensitive to mount point you currently feel or like maybe not that sensitive. Do you think about it much where you at? I think about it not at all and I just go recommended. Mhm. Okay. By the way, the fact that you actually studied to be a sommelier, <laughs> I didn't know that about you. And I constantly am telling people when they're asking about like my weird job, I what I often say is effectively, we're kind of sommeliers here at yeah. Blister. So the fact that you actually are <laughs> trained in this <laughs> and we're not, um, but I think like you have to be wired. Like I can't, you're, you seem to have the background like, you seem cut out for this. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You do always have... willing to learn. Okay. Um, but that's like what we do is like, you know, dialing in and getting clear on the nuances of what some of this stuff does. Then when it comes time to make gear recommendations, it doesn't matter what I like. It's about listening to the person in the same way. I guess if you're a sommelier at a, good restaurant it's like well what meal are you having and what sorts of things do you tend to be into like make the pairing right do you accept this as an actual yeah and i really love that idea of especially when it comes to gear that word pairing is perfect because i find 
too often. It's, you know, those list of like, what is the best ski? Like, well, who are you? Right. And what's the best ski for you? Because I think it's going to be very different. Someone like, if you look even at athlete teams and which athlete is attracted to different brands, if you look at like, is it Blizzard or Blizzard? Can we also, can you tell me? Well, no one is, (laughs) I love to say Blizzard. Um, Everybody at (laughs) Blizzard is gonna yeah send a mail me a pipe bomb or something i yeah allegedly blizzard is what some folks like to say i okay i'd like to say there's not a wrong answer out there yeah so i'm gonna say the athlete team of blizzard is all x ski racers and there's a reason for that when you get on those skis like they are hardcore heavy duty racing feeling like skis and if that's your background, then that should be your ski. And if that's not your background, like pick a different ski. And it's, I don't think there's a best ski out there or best boot or anything. I think exact. I think that what you're driving home needs to be driven home louder over like a microphone (laughs) is that it's about the pairing and it's what's best for you. Yeah. And I mean, this is kind of literally part of the reason I started fucking blister was to try to you know like we'd see on all these buyers guides like ski of the year and like we don't do that you know like we don't do that it's fucking like that ski might be amazing for me and you might hate it and like i i hope we've been able to level up the thinking in the ski industry a bit just making people more clear about this and you know we used to hear this all the time it's like ski shops that we work with will say like people just walk in with whatever magazine this is the ski of the year and so they're like i want that and it's like jesus people we can be way more nuanced (laughs) way more nuanced in how we're thinking about this stuff we have a hard time with nuance we do (laughs) don't we yeah yeah so we're working on it and we'll we'll keep we'll keep banging these drums and um But it's funny. And so like it's (laughs) we're currently putting out on Blister like these quiver articles, like five ski quivers and the rest. And we just constantly have to like say like people, these are our individual choices. These are our individual choices. And some things can be learned. And I think, frankly, the smarter people, sorry, read that and they'll say things like it's interesting to see how you all think through why you're going this way and not that way but the smart people can then take that and maybe it's not like what ski did i say i personally like but maybe luke Kappa or kristen sinat or i any of our people it helps others like well what do i actually care about yeah what am i looking for where do i ski yeah you know and So we'll keep fighting the fight, but (laughs) keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So Mount Point, not so much a consideration. You're sticking with the line. Yeah. Fair. I mean, some people just, I mean, Sage Cataburga Alosa, for example, is famous for like, he's got kind of his little algorithm for like where (laughs) he sets things up. And, you know, what I do is like, I tend to start with stuff on the line. And then if something feels a bit off or if I think I can get a ski to feel a bit more balanced for how I ski, then we'll start moving. But I'm pretty happy with starting with the line and I don't I don't automatically move away from it. I like to think the good folks engineering those skis kind of know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they do. <laughs> sometimes we all could use a little help. I sometimes like asking the question, like, what gear are you the least picky about oh i don't think i have an answer for that because i'm pretty picky about everything all of it huh okay i was gonna say like ski straps but i'm actually picky about my ski straps (laughs) we'll say more we'll say more let's talk about (laughs) ski straps i mean i just like your classic vole good ski straps in a variety of lengths because it's helpful to have a variety of lengths okay you pick our next topic of gear we talk in apparel, packs, we've talked about bindings, we've talked about skis, we've talked about boots. Oh, I mean, this will be hard for me. I'm kind of tempted to talk about apparel to go on another small rant 
but I don't know if we've ranted enough. <laughs> Wait, Gear 30 is all about the rants. <laughs> so there's no, yeah, there's no cutoff. Um, this is another example of, and I say this knowing that a, there are brands working on this, but it goes back to this idea of like, if the mountains are for everyone, we need to redefine what you wear into the mountains. You know, there's this idea of like the power suit. And if you want to feel powerful in business, you wear like a suit and women tend to do the same. But what I want to see in the ski industry is women are able to dress in a way that doesn't emulate like male characteristics in terms of dressing, but embraces our own like feminine characteristics, whatever that means for you. I think one of the funniest memories I've ever had skiing uh, was with Racy Stiegler and we were riding up in Jackson. It was just a mellow cruising day and Racy's in this really shiny fur Aspen like outfit. And the guy sitting next to us is like, where are you from? And that question you never ask Racy. She is like hardcore local Jackson person. And she will rip you a new one if you say you're from Jackson and you aren't like born at St. John's Hospital <laughs> or at the stagecoach. And uh, so this guy was like kind of giving her a rub and she's like, I'm from here. And he was kind of like, no, where are you really from? And she's like, I'm from here. And and then we get off the chair and this is on Opry Boo. I can picture the whole thing. And she lets him get a little ways ahead and then just lays one over like her butt is on the tip of his skis. And I can see his jaw dropping and she just gives this like turn around and wave. <laughs> and it was so funny to me. But like, you know, if you want to wear shiny and fur, wear that. Sometimes I want to wear shiny furry things and I want that to be accepted. Like I remember when TNF did the Gucci collab. Mm -hmm. If you read the Instagram comments, mm -hmm. people were just like, you would only wear it. Like the people that would wear that would have like their climbing shoes dangling off their backpack or like, you can't wear that kind of stuff in the mountains. And I was like, I'd wear that in the mountains. Mm -hmm. It looks awesome. It's different. It's florals that don't look like they come off of like a tampon box. Like everything is a little bit cooler. And so for apparel, technically speaking, I love my apparel. I think the North Face stuff is awesome. It fits me really well. It especially solves the problem that a lot of women have in the outdoors with small waist and quads that you need for skiing. And I think the pants fit better than any pant I've ever had. Mm. And all I want is like the street style influence in the Alpine. That's my like dream. I like it. <laughs> All right. So, so give me like all the future, like give me the fit, give me the technology, but yeah. A little more Make fur cool. and shiny, <laughs> yeah. shiny and yeah. fur for the backcountry. Shiny and fur, but just not boxy and teal and pink. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it was funny. Cody Townsend and I talked about that collab on one of our Reviewing the News episodes. Okay. And I, I, I was like, I'm kind of here for it. Like I dug it. <laughs> that's cool. It is funny. We get real territorial. I mean, I think, I think all communities do to be fair, like communities mm -hmm. in general look to define themselves in certain ways. And I, I think that's like, by definition, like if it is a community, there will be defining elements, but it's just a great reminder that like, we should be careful about what we're being awfully rigid about and like what makes you like an insider or an outsider. And here's to the people that come and kind of punch holes in that stuff. Yeah. Right. Like that's fun and cool and switch it up. I agree on a kind of different side note when it comes to apparel. Cause I feel like maybe this is gives people some direction too. I think the like micro down jacket is the best piece of apparel ever invented. Say more. Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. I just find it so universal. Like I never, ever go skiing without it either on or in my backpack. And I feel like for safety, for warmth, it's the piece to have. Unless you live someplace really, really warm. But yeah. I do. Actually, Cold snow, so, no. powder, time go hand in hand. <laughs> yeah. I should let you get going. I've kept you, literally, I've kept you up past your bedtime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is one of the things Almost. about you. Um, 
yeah, you are a you are an early to bed, early to rise, or just early to bed and then lazy. What's your? <laughs> no, I wake up like five thirty or six every day to the annoyance of anyone who's ever, especially my brother. So like, stop, <laughs> stop, please stop. Anything else we should cover before I let you go? I don't think so. I wish. I hope everyone has a great season, mm. great safe season. Hey Hadley. Yeah. Guess what I'm going to go do in like one hour. Go skiing? Yeah. Opening day here in CB. Yeah. So I'm really excited. You know, it's early season. Not everything's open just yet. That's fine. I'm just excited. We're going to go carve some skis. Yeah. Because skiing, I, I mean, this sounds a little trivial, maybe, or silly, but it is the best it's like the most fun thing and i feel like every season i'm reminded of that like when you click into your skis for the first time and you're just like this is wild like, this is so fun and irrelevant and very relevant mm. yeah well and man something that covid sure reminded me of was just the mental health part of this you know it's like yeah skiing is fun as you say but like yeah i think it just became underscored for me like we were fortunate here in crested butte like we were backcountry skiing and mountain biking and the rest but like a lot of people who weren't able to get out maybe in the same ways just just a great reminder it's fun as hell but the mental benefits of it and getting out um yeah not not to be underestimated I feel like I'm a very I can be a very serious person but I take my like joy very seriously too you know, one of my favorite quotes, when you say, I take my joy very seriously, <laughs> Seneca, can I drop Latin on this podcast? It's the end. We've been going for a while. No one will get mad at me, will they? Verum gaud- I think it's like required for you, isn't it? No. Well, I'm just, this is, I like doing, like when we came out with our first buyer's guide ever, I put like Attic Greek font in the buyer's guide that no they say out on because I was like, that's never been done in a buyer's guide. Yeah. So sometimes I just like doing this stuff because screw it. <laughs> let's, you know, but when you say that, like I've never heard somebody say what you just said, like in English, in the course of a middle conversation, I take my joy seriously. One of my favorite quotes from Seneca is in Latin, verum gaudium res severa est. True joy is a serious thing. Look at you, you and Seneca. Well, it's amazing, right? Person to stand next to, (laughs) right? Seneca would have admittedly appreciated the Queen's Gambit right off the jump, (laughs) unlike you. But all right, all right. But um, yeah, let's uh, let's all take our joy seriously. Um, seems like another good thing we ought to be doing with our lives, in addition to being endlessly curious. This was fun. Thank you, Hadley. Um, Thank you. Really, thanks for the perspectives, and um, thanks for. I think we did a good job here. We were supposed to just come in and talking about gear. I think we did that in a compelling way. We snuck some life lessons in there too. So, uh, yeah, this was good. Good. <laughs> Get some sleep. Read The Queen's Gambit. I will. We'll circle back. If you still are like, I hate this novel too, that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll still be friends, but we can fight again. We don't have to, okay. you know, we don't have to agree on all the same stuff. And um, I don't know, maybe I'm going to end with a little little teaser. We might be doing some more things together. She's mm-hmm. nodding. She's nodding and smiling. I'm nodding. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's also been kind of fun, like some of the conversations we've had. And I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, in the new year, um, maybe dropping some things. Yeah. Not just mics. <laughs> not, not just mics. Exactly. Exactly. But kind of mics, actually. Yeah. Kind Come to of think actually. of it. Come <laughs> to think of it. Um, anyway, hey, thank you. This was fun. Um, get some sleep. Enjoy your season. Look forward to the next conversation and take care of yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. It is now time for our What We're Celebrating segment. And this is a big one this week, folks. And this is why I have in my hand a glass of Whistlepig 15-year-old rye, because that's what I tend to break out for the most celebratory occasions, or just when I feel like it. 
But anyway, big news, folks. We have crossed the threshold for 500 Gear 30 reviews in Apple Podcasts. And as you, dear loyal listener, know, that means we have now greenlit the Snowblade video. So we have two Blister Crash Course videos coming your way. First, and our goal is to have this shot before the Blister Summit, we will be putting out our Blister Crash Course Telemark video. And then I'm thinking after the summit, that's when we're probably going to do our Blister Crash Course Snowblade video. And even better news, the strikingly handsome Justin Bob, he has heard your calls for us to telly Snowblade. And J-Bob has told me that he is taking on that task. So I don't know if I'm going to muster up the courage to telly Snowblade, but J-Bob has always been way more courageous than I am. And uh, he says he's got this. So you're going to get to see J-Bob, who, by the way, is an incredible snowboarder. Actually, you're probably going to be able to get to see him be amazing on some telly Snowblades. So Kudos to all of you who left us a review, and we really appreciate the nice comments, too. That means a lot. This whole community of Blister in general, but of the, like, Gear 30 crowd, you all are something else. And we really appreciate what you've helped us build here. And, man, this thing is just not slowing down at all. So, kudos to all of you. I raise my glass of Whistlepig 15-year-old rye. To all of you who have submitted and reviewed, man, let's just keep this thing going. Thanks again for, you know, probably being the cause of my next hospital bills. Really appreciate you. That's great. And that then brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Hadley for the conversation. Thanks to the aforementioned strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode and from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again on Monday over on our blister podcast, where it is once again, time to review the news with Cody Townsend. And we actually just banked that conversation uh, about 30 minutes ago It's another good one. I think you're going to like it. So anyway, that's on Monday. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon.